This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lions. Dumela, Gary, and Dumela to our podcasters, and good to see you once again, Gary. Today's show is all about online fraud. Sure. Yep. Every day we read about how thieves are duping and scamming the innocent and are draining their bank accounts with impunity, Lions. Sure. I know. That sounds very serious. I'm so <laughs> looking forward to this one. Yeah. Mm. It could happen to any of us. That's why we, we sit and listen and uh, we sit in trepidation. Hey, when you talk about 15% VAT, petrol price is going up. Now people are stealing. Yeah, hey, now that's, you are touching me on the wrong well, side. Well, listen to this one, Lion. According to a crime and fraud sur- survey that was published earlier this year by PwC, mm. We, South Africa, has the dubious honor of having the highest levels of crime in the world. Wow. So let's stand up and salute the world champions of of crime levels. DJ Gary is in the house. Line, we play that tongue in cheek, but who wants to be the world champions of crime levels? That's right, said Fred. Mm, nice yeah. Stand up for the champions. Yep. Terrible. The tragedy, really, Lines, is that when it comes to cybercrime, a massive percentage of online phishing victims they totally lose their money. The lot, the whole yeah, lot, they true. clean them out. Mm-hmm. And for one of the most targeted countries in the world, the question is, do our banks cover us for these colossal losses? And what is the law on, on this, on mm. online frauds? Interesting. Yeah. Um, everyone's wondering, well, if they get cleaned out, well, I'm insured the banks will cover me. Well, are they really? And we're going to find out all about it. Our guest in studio today has been taking on the banks on behalf of victims. Oh, that's good. Of the online frauds. Uh, people who have lost their life savings to these disgusting human beings. These Shame. crooks. Yeah. The person that's helping them is Johannesburg attorney. He's a specialist in, and in uh, information security law. His name is Mark Hank. Welcome to you, Mark. Have I pronounced your name correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Lance. Thank and, you. And uh, good morning to the listeners. Cool. Our partner today, Legal Talk South Africa, they're very interested in this one because I know that uh, anyone out there has and could be scammed. Uh, they have a Facebook membership. Can you believe now, Lines? It's um, 190,000 yeah, people. Yeah, it's growing. It's growing. Yeah. That's good. So yeah. Our, nope. yeah, our shows get pinned on their page and... Uh, 190,000 people just from them alone. But kudos to you because you are the driver of this whole initiative. And without your contribution as well as your uh, insightfulness, leadership, this wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, Ray Green is the founder, really, Lyons, so we always credit him. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life uh, with Gary Hertzberg. 
Have a look, lines. Yeah, you and don't. At Heads Law, that's basically allowed to Twitter handle H E R T Z L A W. That's where you can actually give us any topics that you would like us to really talk about. Just like today, we've got the best of the best to to really unpack the complexity of this topic, just so that each and every single one of us can actually understand the basis of it. Let me introduce Mark Hank in more detail. Apart from being a lawyer. Uh, Mark studied information management at Witts Graduate School of Business um, uh, in 2004 as a certified information security systems professional as well. He's lectured on privacy law, different aspects of ICT law and information security law and practice, and he lectures to master's students. So you've got to know a whole lot to, to lecture to them. Um, we really, we, it's an honor for us to have Mark with us today. He's a member of the South African Law Reform Commission that researched and drafted the Protection of Personal Information Bill known as Poppy. To some of us, it's Poppy. And, uh, yeah, so Mark, um, yeah, have I left out? Tell me some more. What else have you been up to? Well, I I do a lot of work in information security. It's uh, been an area where I've recognized that uh, there is a gap in the law. Um, and that we will for certainly the rest of my professional career and I think along after that be trying to fill some of these gaps um, and ensuring that the commercial and social realities of our lives are reflected properly in our law and that we give proper protection to those who need it. Absolutely. Last month, Mark, I picked up in the um, money section of the Business Times of the Sunday Times and this is a very well-read paper uh, under the heading, Mark Hank is fighting the cause of victims of internet banking fraud. And you've taken on a whole bunch of people, I think it's like 29, who have a, a problem with APSA. Uh, they were scammed and um, they, they want their money back and APSA stood their ground on this one. So uh, 12 of these 29 people, I believe, are 65 years and older have been cleaned out of life savings? Is it as bad as that? It is, yes. They have no reasonable, reasonable prospect of ever recovering the money from the, from the scammers, and the people they need to look at are the banks and say, well, you know, can you help us? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some of these cases? Maybe go into a little detail so we know what the facts really are and how maybe we can identify with these. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing is that these matters were referred to me by two computer experts mm-hmm. who felt that the banks had uh, not dealt with these clients correctly. There were initially 34 matters, and uh, and 29 of them are APSA. The other five matters I've actually were with other banks, and I've managed to settle all of those for the full capital of the claim. Mm-hmm. Um, but APSA is very reticent and intransigent in the in the way that they're dealing with these matters and the result has been that I'm now dealing with not by choice twenty nine matters against APSA but by circumstance that these are the matters that were referred to me. Mm. Um so the nature of the crime is this. The first thing is that we all you know, with internet banking we have banking credentials, we have user logons, um passwords, etc. And these are compromised. Um the the what whether how these are compromised uh, is not always altogether clear, but certainly the banks put a large premium on phishing, and phishing is where we go into a site which looks perfectly innocent to us and po- possibly disclose information which we shouldn't. 
uh, in a lot of the cases that I'm dealing with, there is no evidence of fishing at all. Mm. There are in some of them, but there is no evidence of fishing. Uh, the, the, it's also possible, of course, for your bank credentials uh, and, and other information from computers to be hacked uh, through malware, etc. And again, a lot of this could happen without the person actually knowing that it's happening. Um, so what happens is with internet banking, with apps as internet banking, that you use these credentials, obviously, to get into your bank account. Um, and then it, once those credentials are obtained, the, there's a second element, really, to how these crimes with SIM swaps have occurred. Now, a SIM card is something that is uh, used in your, in your uh, um, cell phone, mobile phone, uh, and typically the numbers are directed to that SIM card. And obviously people do change their devices that they use, and they would normally just take out the SIM card and put it into another device. They could also lose a, a device, and they might go back to the service provider and ask for uh, quite legitimately that they get an, another SIM card so that they can put it into the device that they've just uh, acquired. In those circumstances, obviously, that's perfectly legitimate. Um, but the, the 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 loophole that the that the criminals have seen in uh, in what happens with with the internet banking is that one-time passwords, which are a security measure which has been developed uh, by the banks, and I talk about APSA specifically here, are then. Are provided to the the client, so that once they are into the internet banking, what APSA itself describes as high risk transactions, like the creation of beneficiaries, or the the changing of limits on the accounts, etc., those can only be authorized with the use of the one time password. So having purely your banking credentials without having the one-time passwords does not allow the criminal to actually channel funds into accounts over which they have control because your internet banking account would not have that that particular account as a beneficiary. However, with a SIM swap, uh, where they, a SIM swap is performed, uh, they might have control over your credentials and that further factor of security, the one-time password, uh, which allows these transactions to then actually occur. And this is the nature of the matters, those 29 matters that we're talking about. That's the nature of the crime. Now, one of the things is that the this, the, the, the the banks say, well, if, if we... Sorry, Mark, let's just slow down a little yes, so I understand certainly. it. When I do a transaction... Um, on on the internet, a one-time password is sent to my cell phone, mm-hmm. and then I take that one-time password and I put it into the internet, and the mm-hmm. transaction goes through. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That's normal for everyone, basically. Well, just let's stop yeah. here a second. Certain transactions, you you won't need one. You won't one, need one. But, yeah. but, but for creating a new beneficiary, absolutely. I need that one. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Where have these people gone wrong? As opposed to me, I mean, could it happen to me that somebody gets swaps my my SIM card? How 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 is it that someone got to swap their SIM cards? Hmm. 
There's 29 people. Is, does that make sense, Lon? No, it, it does make sense because I yeah. think also in South Africa, most celebrities have been quite a, a number of them to this scam. So yeah, it's quite. How yeah? How how do the the, the thieves get there? Get to swap their. Well, typically they masquerade as the person if it's an accessory. Otherwise, they might well have somebody within a service provider. Uh, who is in on the on the crime that they are that they are committing, or they pay them off to be able to do it? Why is it that there's a number a number of elder elderly people, sixty five and older? What what did they do wrong? Or is it just coincidental? Or is it a fact that the elderly probably made mistakes in this? I, well, I think that you know, in a lot of instances, there's no, not even any evidence of the elderly making any mistake. Uh, in, uh, it just, it might just be, and it is a small profile, but still, there are 40% of the people that I'm dealing with mm. that are in this position. It, I, I don't really know what to do, uh, to ascribe it to. It may be that, that, uh, the, there is this generational divide with digital devices and internet banking. Mm. But certainly, the evidence that I have, uh, is not that these people succumb to a fishing expedition. There's no evidence of, of that in a number of cases, and we have had their devices forensically investigated to to confirm that that's the case. So, uh, in each and every one of these cases, has it been a swim so, a swim a sim swap that's yeah. caused the the loss, the, the theft? Well, it's a combination of having the banking credentials yes. and the sim swap, mm. uh, and that is what has caused the loss. In these particular frauds that we're dealing with here When you say the banking credentials What have the thieves got That's not in the public domain My bank account is floating around all over the place I give it out I say to you if you please will you deposit money into my account I send it out by email Or by whatsapp whatever It's out there so everyone knows what my bank account Number is and my name and my bank and my branch code. Sure. No, certainly uh, they will have those credentials, but yeah. they, they, they should not have your password or PINs, which you should be selecting. Okay. And the bank's argument is that nobody aside from you should know those credentials. How do the thieves get hold of that? Well, it, it can be through a phishing expedition, where yeah. in a phishing expedition typically what will happen is that it would appear that it is something from a bank, or in, in my particular instances from APSA, where the client is asked to provide the PIN and password. So, in know, fact, yes, so they get a, they've got an email from someone yes. uh, that says, uh, hey, we from the bank, we mm. just want you to fill in a few yes. details, and that's what they fill in, and mm. that's what the thieves get hold of. Yeah. Or they go onto a site that's, as you said, uh, dishonest and... Um, yeah. Well, there, there is another uh, um, manner of attack. I mean, there, there, there are lots of different attacks that are being used by the criminals. But it is also, for instance, you might download malware, yes. mm. uh, which you don't even know about. It is you, You've gone in, you've seen something that seems perfectly legitimate, not even related to your bank. It is downloaded malware onto your device, mm. uh, and that malware might have a keylogger, which actually then logs all of the keys that you're pressing. And obviously, uh, once the, 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 the criminals are sophisticated and they'll be able to pick up whether there is a login to a bank mm. and the, the type of information that would go in there. And they, therefore, they'd be able to pick up pins 
uh, and passwords that might be used in those circumstances. Right. And of course, the bank's argument is that we cannot control how people protect their information. Mm. Um, Can the bank show how the people lost the information to the thieves, how the thieves got a hold of it? Can they show that you, I don't know what, what are they trying to say, the banks? Are they just saying there's a loss and we're not responsible? Yeah. Well, they can. Because or are they saying you were negligent or grossly negligent? Well, I think that there, there, there are two elements to this. The first element is that the bank uh, says that you are responsible for looking after your PIN, etc. And that's mm. fine. That, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. We should, in the normal course, be careful about how we deal with this. Yes. However, in, when these matters uh, do actually arise, in many instances the banks do not investigate uh, whether the person was actually negligent in any way or not. Mm. And my experience That's is... That's your point, isn't mm. it? That the banks are just simply shrugging their shoulders, throwing their arms up and saying, we're not paying. Mm. And we'll give the reasons why. Well, the point is that the reasons I don't think are, are, are great in a lot of cases because mm. what they're saying is that simply because your banking credentials have been compromised and the the very strong interpretation that can be put in on a lot of the correspondence and communications that clients have with the banks is that they were negligent, that they did something wrong. Mm. Now, as a lawyer, Gary, you will know that our law requires for there to be negligence that you either have to do something that you shouldn't have done mm. or you have to not have done something that you should have done. Yes. Absent that, there can't be negligence. Can the bank show the negligence? Well, in my experience up to now, they have not been able to show the negligence. Mm. But they don't rely purely on the negligence. They use that, that uh, in trying to say to people, you have probably been uh, had your information fished. Mm. Uh, and in a lot of instances, that is just not the case. That's not true. They, and they have no evidence to be able to support that. Mm. So they just simply are going on the basis of uh, on a balance of probabilities, our systems, and they say our systems worked perfectly, so uh, you must have done something you must, wrong. You must have done something wrong. Mm. And the interesting thing about that is, of course, is that they never allow their systems or the forensic reports around their systems to be investigated independently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the client just simply has to accept that that's what the bank is saying. Well, the banks have got millions and millions of customers. Um, mm. There's only... A very small percentage that are being duped. They are saying that these people must have done something wrong. Yeah. Otherwise, um, yeah, that's that's really their point. They justify it by trying to rely on some law called assumed risk. Yeah. Tell me what that is. Well, the, to to understand assumed risk, we must first of all understand our relationship with our banks. In terms of our law, we have what is called a debtor and creditor relationship. Mm. So when we deposit money in a bank, or if we are given money by the bank on credit that is in, a, in our particular account, there's not a neat little pile of money that's saying this is Gary Hertzberg's money, and when a payment is made that it is taken out of that. Yes. There's simply an account, and if money is paid into that account, it must be credited, and if money is paid out of that account, it must be debited, but only if the money is paid out on the authorization of the, of the account holder. Mm-hmm. I think we all understand that um, uh, it is part of what we understand around our banking. 
So to circumvent that with internet banking where the authorization and in all of these cases the bank has conceded that it is not the the, the account uh, owner that has made uh, the, the authorization for the payment to be made. They know that. Mm. So to get around that they say okay we have terms and conditions relating to our internet banking or our e-channel uh, in terms of which uh, if your banking credentials are used then you will be liable we can assume that that is you and you will be liable for any loss we are not liable as a bank for any loss that is suffered unless you can show that there's negligence on the part of the bank itself now the first thing about those terms and conditions is that that is an assumption of risk. You're changing the liability that the banks would normally have in terms of the banker-client relationship to a liability on the actual client. Mm -hmm. And it is necessary in terms of the code of banking practice as well as the Consumer Protection Act that the bank notifies and draws the attention of the client to those particular provisions. Where are these conditions that you talk about? Well, this is the interesting point, and that mm. is that uh, we are told that the, the, the that in some cases there would have been a document signed in a, by uh, our normal manuscript signatures, mm. and more recently, it seems to me that the allegation is now no that these are terms and conditions that you would have accepted electronically. Mm. Okay. Now the point is. Um, let's assume for a moment that those, that in fact the, 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 the client did sign them. Mm-hmm. In the 29 cases that I'm dealing with, without exception, I've asked the clients and they've said no, they do not remember signing an agreement, but they do not deny that that's a possibility. Yes, I mean, Lines, you wouldn't deny that you had signed something. Yeah. Or that you'd have agreed to something when you opened the account. It's it may well be. It says there the terms and conditions on our website are applicable to mm. whatever. We don't know. It's, yeah. it's yeah. something that we just close yeah. our eyes to. Yeah. The, what has happened, though, in, in every single matter that I've dealt with relating to ABSA, that I've asked for the account, of, sorry, for the, for the agreement, they have not been able to provide the actual agreement to me. Mm. They, refer, they refer to generic conditions, etc., and it is up to the bank to prove that uh, if, if they are relying on a contract, it is up to the bank to prove that there was, in fact, an agreement in place. Yes. But it is also up to the bank to comply with its obligations in terms of the law, the Consumer Protection Act, their own code of banking practice, which they uh, uh, adhere to or claim that they adhere to, um, and commit themselves to, which says that if there is an assumption of risk, that must be uh, drawn to the attention of the client. Mm. Now, as I say, in all of these cases, in not one of the cases has has anybody been able to show me that that has been done. And therefore, the clients themselves, again, without exception, say we are prepared to go on affidavit to say that if these provisions were brought to our attention properly, that we understood the assumption of risk, mm. we may not have actually entered into the agreement uh, at the time. And certainly one or two of them have said to me, I would have then wanted to know how I can ensure that this risk can be avoided. Mm. Uh, So they are prepared to go on oath to say that. Mm. Uh, I think it's fair to uh, to accept 
as a consumer that I wouldn't know as a lawyer even where these conditions are. Mm, if you said to me, Gary, you're an online banker, I'd say, uh, a customer, I'd say, yes, uh, I don't know about conditions. Mm. I don't know where they are. Yeah. You may I find it small print as yeah, well. I may have yeah. agreed to them somewhere where they mm. are. Show yeah. them to me. Did yeah. I agree to them? Yeah. I think that's your point. Yes. Yeah. My point is that at this stage, the, the APSA has certainly not shown us these agreements uh, that they appear to rely on in mm. repudiating uh, the, the, the claims. Sorry, have all the claims been repudiated in, to, in full or have they settled some or have agreed to settle? Or No. Uh, in, in certain instances uh, – and I'm not 100% certain of the numbers, but I think that in 15 of the 29, there have been settlements. Now, what has happened in those cases is that the bank have said, um, we'll set, we, we won't admit any liability. It is not our fault at all. We will settle with you on the basis that we will pay you 50% of the claim. Uh, take it or leave it. Take it. W- w- you've got seven days to accept this, mm. and one of the conditions is confidentiality. Oh. So what has occurred in a lot of these cases is that, the, in my view, the client is in an impossible position. Mm. In the one particular instance, the client… is uh, desperate. They've, they, been, they've yeah. been cleaned out. Yeah. Well, well the, a retired couple which who, who between them had been cleaned out, and they had 381 rand between them. They were not in a position to not accept the offer. Mm-hmm. And the type of comment that I've got from my, from my clients is that we felt that we had a gun to our head. Mm-hmm. We had absolutely no option uh, that, you know, in the one particular instance where business was involved, the lady said, I did not have money to pay my salaries if I did not accept the 50% and I could not make my employees I could not make my problem my employee's problem. Mm. I had to accept it. Mm-hmm. How much is involved here, Mark? Wow. How much has been stolen? Well, of the, of the thir- 20, 29, yeah. yeah. Of the, of the, of the 29 uh, matters, and I don't have the figures in front of me, but the total amount uh, which has been lost, the, mm. the total loss. The stolen. How much has been stolen? Yeah. The, the amount stolen was probably in the region of over the 34 matters that were initially provided to me. That was in the region of about 22 million. Jeez. Wow. Yes. Uh, and there are some big claims. There, there's one particular claim, which is 4 million rand. Well, who, uh, what kind of people are these? Are they retired? Are they retired or that lost 4 million? Uh, well, in that that particular case, the, the, the lady who unfortunately is now deceased. Mm. She uh, died from this, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, she, was, she was an elderly lady. She was 91. Mm. Uh, uh, and yes, she is from a wealthy uh, family, etc. Um, but certainly, in, in, you know, she was one of the elderly people there. But it, 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 it's across the board, Gary. Was, was, her money, was her money in a current account, in a normal check account? Where well, was this four million? Well, the the, the money—that's uh, part of what occurred there—is that uh, the money had been paid in shortly before the scam actually occurred. Okay, and part of her question is, and you know, there's no answer to this, but part of the question that was uh, her question was, how did they know that that money had come into my account at that time? Yes. Mm. Uh, and of course, the banks will disclaim that there is anything wrong. But the problem is, it's impossible to find out. To find out, and the information that is provided by the banks, uh, I mean, in in a number of instances now, despite the fact that they 
I believe, have known that they should be providing certain of the information, it has been necessary to bring applications to court mm. to get the information. Yes. Uh, so we have the situation where not only do the banks have the uh, have the uh, are not the party that's actually suffered the loss because they've just simply debited the client's accounts, mm. but they also have the monopoly on the information that is necessary to be able to deal with these matters, mm. uh, and that is that places the client in a very very invidious position in in how they actually deal with it, mm. and is one of the reasons that uh, litigation is. Incredibly risky, apart mm. from the fact that for any man in the street to litigate against any bank or big financial uh, institution in the knowledge that the, the, that they do not have the, the, the financial wherewithal to be able to match the bank mm. uh, in court, we have that problem. Yes. But we also have the problem that to actually uh, equip themselves to be able to go to court they need to get information which the bank simply withholds in a lot of instances. Are the banks insured against losses? This is a, a question that is that I'm not certain of at all. I think that in a lot of cases the banks self-insure, mm. and nobody has actually been forthcoming around how uh, this is dealt with from an insurance aspect. Mm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really not not certain. I can't answer that question fully. Mm. The matter with the the four million for yeah. the deceased ninety one year old yeah. that's ongoing. Yes, it is ongoing. Yeah. I uh, mean, did she was she operating the bank herself? No, in, the account. No, you? in that instance, her her daughter oh. uh, was actually operating the account. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, and her daughter again. These we've we've actually had her devices uh, looked at. Uh, forensically looked at, and there's nothing that we can find that she would have done wrong uh, for this to actually have occurred. Mark, you took this to the banking ombud. Yes. And what was the reaction there? Well, what we did with the, the ombud, let's. You uh, took all these matters? No, I didn't, yeah. not all of them. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the ombud uh, was dealing with certain matters. And, mm. and remember that, for instance, the, the 4 million rand matter. Uh, the the ombud only has jurisdiction up to two million rand. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's that's one of the issues. And even in in one particular case where the amount was marginally over two million rand that we wanted to take to the ombud, the bank just refused to consent to allow us to do that. Mm. Um, but the, the 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 essence of it is this: that we went to the ombud, having looked at a lot of matters where the ombud had actually uh, come to. Uh, an assessment or determination they said to the clients that there is no reasonable prospect of uh, of success uh, and the 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 rather formulaic process that they adopted was that they obviously get a complaint they then ask the bank to provide them with information mm -hmm. and in Virtually without exception, it was the, the, the uh, basis of the decision appears to have been that the bank has said that their systems worked perfectly. Mm. Of course, those forensic reports remain confidential. The Ombud won't allow you to look at those forensic reports. Mm. Um, and on that basis, and again, even where it is clear that there has not been negligence on the part of the client, the ombud said, you must be negligent. They used those words, you must wow. be negligent. In fact, they went as far as saying, 
uh, you handed your information to the criminals. That is put in writing. Wow. Uh, they make that statement. They make that yeah, statement. But that's not even the evidence, is it? No. no one there's to, there's it, no evidence yeah. to, 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 to support to that. And in, yeah. and, and in my view, the ombud in, in dealing that really did misdirect themselves because that is almost a defamatory statement and almost uh, um, insinuates that there was collusion or that the, that the, the person was in, in fact complicit in, in, in what actually occurred. Mm. So, so we actually approached myself and uh, two, two counsel, one eminent senior counsel that, uh, at the Joburg Bar. What's his name? Are you... You want to mention it? I don't think I should okay. because I haven't. I don't have his permission. But nonetheless, okay. they yeah. have been assisting me. Yeah. Um, we visited the ombud with a view to seeing whether these matters could be reviewed, yeah. because there is a process of review around the ombud, mm. and we were told no, 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 we, they can't be reviewed, uh, and the ombud has steadfastly just refused to actually take any of those matters further. Obviously, we have now more recently. Um, also uh, uh, applied for assistance, which is the process that is called that, that, that is named at the ombud, to look at some of the other matters, and we've set out and asked the ombud to look at the issues of, for instance, is there an agreement? Because it does not appear at all that the ombud actually looked at those issues. Mm-hmm. Now bear in mind that these people were not represented previously by lawyers. Are you allowed to have a lawyer at the ombud's office? Well, the ombud discourages it. Yeah, I've actually seen here it says. Yeah. Uh, on their website, uh, it, the question is posed, do I need a lawyer? And the response of the ombud is, no, we discourage the use of lawyers and other bodies who charge for their services. We employ qualified lawyers who can assist in obtaining relevant facts from both the complainant and the bank. And we are strictly impartial, oh. so there's no need for a lawyer. That's that's what mm, they really say. <laughs> and uh, really, you, if you do get a lawyer, you'll never get, you, you are unlikely to get any legal fees from the bank. So that's what's yeah. on their website. But but yeah. it doesn't look like they are really um, uh, neutral in this case because it seems like whatever they uh, they base their statement on or their outcome, it's based on what the other party is actually saying. I think that's what yeah. your point is, Mark. Or well, we, we, I'm, I'm, uh, first of all, let yeah. me stress: I'm not um, saying that the bank, uh, the, the ombud, has acted has not acted impartially. Mm. I believe that they've misdirected themselves in not looking at all of the facts, despite mm. what they say about lawyers, etc. They've not looked at the background of um, the the agreements which the bank actually relies on. Mm. The bank doesn't say that the client has been negligent, as far as I'm aware, uh, when it it speaks to the ombud. So I don't know because again <laughs> that information is privy only to the the ombud and the bank, what is actually being said there. But if the bank is saying that the client has been negligent, that's a misdirection in itself. Well, I think you're entitled to know in what in what manner has the client been negligent? Yeah. Isn't that what it's all about? Well, precisely. Yeah. And you've never been shown that. Is yes. that is that what what's upsetting your clients? Yes. Please exactly. show us where we've been negligent. Yes. If we have been negligent, then maybe they'll accept it. Yeah. We yes. don't know. No. You've now gone. You've referred all the matters to the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Who is this body? It's um, well, it's not a new body in itself. In that the, there's, there was a financial services board for many, many years, mm. but there's been new legislation which has reconstituted this body into the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, 
And among their many uh, obligations, uh, as you can understand in the financial sector, there, there's a, a, a plethora of regulatory issues that need to be looked at. But among those uh, responsibilities is the conduct of the banks themselves and of the ombuds in the financial sector. So uh, what, is, what has been necessary in that regard uh, is, and we don't know at this stage, I've put together the submissions mm. uh, saying that, that my clients are unhappy with the way that they've been treated uh, by the banks and by the ombud. Uh, and I've asked that, that they are investigated. Mm. Uh, at this stage, there aren't regulations which tell us exactly how this might happen. Uh, there aren't, and and the, you know, one hopes that the uh, this will happen relatively quickly. But there aren't even any time periods that I know. So we are waiting on understanding how the financial sector conduct authority. We've given them a, a fairly, uh, I hope concise but clear uh, view of what has occurred in these matters. Mark, um, you may or may not want to answer this. Yeah. Are you doing this pro bono or how are you doing this? I agreed on the on the 34 matters that were initially provided to me that I would act pro bono. Mm. Uh, it has cost me a great deal of time and money. I have to no be able doubt. Do yeah, Jesus. You've put in a lot of work on this. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I feel that this is an area of law that really needs to be looked at carefully. I believe that there is a huge unfairness uh, and that if we look at other jurisdictions, uh, there are limits on the, the, the loss that will be suffered by the client mm. uh, in these circumstances. Um, so uh, certainly, for instance, in the United States, uh, if this happened in the United States, as long as you reported the incident within two days of it becoming your knowledge, uh, or coming to your knowledge, your you would you would have the, the limit of your liability of your client's liability would be fifty dollars. The rest would have to be borne by the banks. And um, in my view, as we move into the information society, and we have big business who are obviously benefiting enormously from the technologies and have the ability to put in the controls, etc., that are necessary, uh, that, they, that they should be the ones that are looking out more carefully. It is impossible for the man in the street to protect himself against some of these crimes. And yeah. this has been the case in these w matters. Why is it, Mark, um, that we South Africans have become such a targeted prey by thieves and fraudsters, are we a bit naive? What is well, why, why are they why they're hammering us? Why go somewhere else? Go to Croatia or go to yeah. France? But why us? Well, I think it's a. It, I think first of all, it's a it's a very good question, uh, in the sense of we are a, a, a country which has a a good banking system mm. uh, that has strong uh, technology behind the banking system and is well regulated. Um, and, you know, these crimes are not confined, obviously, to, to, to banks, etc. but the criminals go to where the money is. Mm. And the monies are with banks and, and in the financial sector. And one of the reasons is very clearly to me the fact that the raw material for these crimes is personal information. Yes. Mm. Personal information in so many forms. And as South Africans, because we've not had protection of personal information, effectively enforced in our country for so long, our, our information has been simply plundered. And we are also, and I 
cannot, I, I would love to be able to answer this question because it amazes me that we are quite apathetic about. Yeah, yeah, you've said that. Uh, about oh. um, some of the, 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 the hacks that have occurred. You know, there are a lot of well-publicized hacks that are in the media for a day or two, and then they just well, seem to Let's disappear. talk about Liberty as an example. Mm. That happened very recently. Yes. They hacked into Liberty's system. Mm. Am I right about that? Yes. Uh, uh, what's happened to that? Well, we, we just simply don't know. Mm. And I think one of the things about the, the Liberty hack, um, and again, you know, uh, I also want to be try and be fair to, 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 to all of the parties involved. I don't know all of the details of the Liberty hack. Mm. So I cannot really um, give the background on whether Liberty were not sufficiently diligent or not. Mm. But the point is that the, the, the attitude of Liberty was something that struck me as a little odd. And that was that there was a strong emphasis on there being fi no financial loss to their clients, which of course is critically important. However, it was almost the fact that there was so much personal information that seems to have been hacked into by way of emails. And you will know you're talking to your financial advisor mm. and you might tell them that you're going to buy a home or that you need money for this or you have this investment that's maturing. This is a very, very sensitive information. And to play down the fact that it was merely emails uh, actually gives credence to the fact that we are not looking at the protection of our personal information correctly. True. We've had a number of these of, uh, of instances where we've had millions and millions of records, of personal records that have been out in the open. The information regulator has yet to be functionally oper uh, operative. And, it, and, you know, I was on the South African Law Reform Commission that investigated privacy in 2002. Mm. It took a long time and there seemed to be unnecessary delays to put this very important legislation in place. And I say that it is very important because it's not just very important in the South African context. Information has no borders. So we see uh, in other countries around the world a huge strengthening of the ability of the man in the street to protect and know who is dealing with their information mm. and where that information is compromised that, uh, the, that the enforcement agencies in those countries come down very hard on the parties that, uh, whose information it is, uh, or sorry, the parties who were responsible for the security of that information. Talk to us, Mark, about how the prosecution and the police, what's happening on that level? Talk of what the police did in these 29 cases that you may know of. Well, um, in, the, in the 29 cases that I know of, in, e in each one of them, the matters were properly reported from all the information that I have to the police, and there's been no meaningful response. I mean, wouldn't they be the ones to determine whether there was some negligence? Or wouldn't, wouldn't they have gone into the, the, the minutiae of the, of the transactions mm. to determine how they p happen? Um, one, I think ideally one would like that to be part of what they're doing. Mm. The, the, the problem is that uh, we do not have the capacity I mean, even at, at, at all sorts of different levels within our police force, there are capacity problems. But we do not seem to have trained sufficient people in what is now part of our lives. Uh, you know, uh, whatever we, uh, our lives are, in, are conducted uh, largely in an electronic type of sphere. Mm. Um, 
And we have not trained people to be able to do this. Also, we've not trained prosecutors to take what might have been found in investigations to court and prosecute these properly. Mm. Um, and one wonders, uh, you know, I mean, there have not been many cases that have, be, that have come before the courts in, in, in these matters. But also one wonders whether our judges are sufficiently facile with some of these things for them to be dealt with properly in, in, in court. And that's not a comment on South Africa because I think that this is a problem that is faced worldwide. But certainly we have done, not done enough. And I think one of the things that is important in, in, in this regard is just to go back to the Ombud and the issues of SIM swaps. Where one of the things that the Ombud has done is that they've simply refused in the matters that we've had, uh, that I've dealt with to date, um, to actually even investigate SIM swap, the SIM swaps. Mm. Uh, the, the, they say, well, that's outside of their jurisdiction. Um, they don't have control over the mobile service providers. And that might be true. But what they are missing is that the security measure is a security measure which has been instituted by the banks. Mm. It is the bank's security measure. The fact that the one-time password is communicated through a mobile service provider in my view, that makes that mobile service provider the agent of the bank in this instance and not the agent of the client. And therefore, it is, and, and best practice around information security tells us that where you put a security measure in place, it is up to you to ensure that that security measure works properly. Now, against that background, apart from anything else, while there's been a lot of talk about phishing, um, uh, by the banks, and there's uh, there are lots of alerts about phishing. I find nothing around SIM swaps mm. that the banks have actually told their clients about, um, and how they should possibly protect against SIM swaps. Is there a way to protect? Well, you can go, for instance, to your mobile service provider, mm. and say to them, unless I am actually present and I give you my information, do not uh, swap my SIM. Um, and again, that's not well known uh, uh, the, the, the service providers say that they will do that and certainly if they've done that and you have a record of that that gives you some protection that the, that the measure that the bank has put into place, the bank's measure if that fails, you are protecting them mm. from uh, the loss that, is, that, that, that might be suffered by yes, or that they attribute to you mm. and you know in that regard as well some swaps are not new some swaps have been around for 7 or 8 years yes it has been well known in that time that the, these there are mechanisms uh, around SIM swaps, or the SIM swap is a mechanism to be able to defeat one of the control measures that the bank has actually said is in place for high-risk transactions. Mm. Therefore, the issue of the duty of care, did, should the banks have been more careful in telling clients that there is this danger and should they have told clients a whole lot more about the SIM swap uh, instead of relying purely on the fact that they had an agreement in place uh, and repudiating liability on that basis? Mm. Mark, before we end off, what kind of advice could you give our listeners as to protection? How do they protect themselves? Mm. Well, the first thing is that um, like all types of protection, you have to be aware of what the risk is. Uh, you know, if, if, we, if we don't understand the risk, very often we don't protect ourselves. We're very aware in South Africa of the risk of uh, 
our homes being broken into, and we do very well uh, typically by putting up the the, 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 the electric the fencing, yeah. electric fencing, and uh, you know very strong locks and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and we have to take that type of approach into the electronic world, where we just simply don't accept exactly what is being told to us. That when we are entering into agreements, we ask about these things where there might be a risk around what we are doing electronically. Um, so, uh, and, and Sorry, Mark, the problem with that is when I question the bank and I say I'm not entering into this transaction, mm. they tell you to take a, take a hike yeah. and you won't get an account opened or you won't be able to do electronic banking. So I guess we are forced to conclude these unknown agreements, if I can call it that. Well, in a way, I think that that is the truth. But I think that that part of it is must also must also come to our responsibility. You asking me how we protect ourselves? Mm. That we have to become far more aware of what the risks are and what the protections might be. So, very simply, you know, um, if you are using an out of date computer or a computer that the software is out of date, well, the risk is higher because the chances of there being a vulnerability are higher. The chances of there not being the the proper malware protection that you might have loaded onto it are higher. Yeah. The changing of your passwords and creating strong passwords. You know, we pretty intuitively know about keys and locks. Yeah. And we will have a fairly simple mortise lock in an interleading door in our home. But we will not use that same lock, for instance, in our front door. We would use a far stronger lock. Mm. And that is part of... Uh, what we just know intuitively. When it comes to passwords, people don't have that intuition. And we should spend a lot more t time, in my view, in our organizations uh, and people like banks, etc., in explaining to clients what a strong password is mm -hmm. and why we should have a strong password. Um, because that is the key that we are using to unlock uh, the, the, the information that is very dear to us and that could create a lot of loss for us if it is not protected. Wow. Excellent. Lines, anything before we let Mark Yeah, go? and, and I, just to add to that, I, th I think people must actually look at their statement on a monthly basis. You know, those 999 that keeps mm. going out without actually looking into that. It's actually very important. But another one, please try not to use um, internet cafes to do your banking because Absolutely. people actually try to steal your uh, your contact details via that. Yeah, well done, uh, Mark. Uh, you helping? You trying to help these people, and um, we'll have to await the result. We'll and the, the mere fact that he's doing it pro bono—that's yeah. that's quite amazing. And mm. this is look—it looks like a very huge project on its own. Mm. Mm. We've been talking to Mark Hayink, H E Y I N K. Your practice is in Johannesburg. That's we great. Can, we Google Mark's all over the place. M A R K. Yeah. Many thanks to you, Mark. It's been very interesting, and I think we've learned quite a lot from this. We'll talk to you again. To our listeners, thank you for listening. Until next week, it's Lionel Makokotleda and myself, Gary Hertzberg. Many thanks. Cheers for now. Thank you. This is CliffCentral.com.